Thank you, Janet Lee. That was absolutely delicious. It just is delicious when you're playing something by the Spirit on a, an anointed, God-given time of day. And time of day, I'm talking about this holy recognition of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us and how that this day was chosen to memorize and memorialize that day. Blessed be God, blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ. How we love him, how we, how we want to serve him and, and just worship him. Uh, it is just exciting to be uh, under the wings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, today, we are going to take you on a journey. And a strange journey it may seem to be. But the title of this is the Exodus Resurrection. And when we're into showing you all of this, you will be perked up. Your eyes will be opened wider. Your ears will be more unplugged. Your love for God and the beauty of the story of God will be broadened. And your call into the manifest revelation will be accentuated. May God bless you as the Bible says in Revelations and in other scriptures. Blessed are they that hear the word. Blessed are they. May God bless you. Well, the Exodus resurrection. An introduction I have written. Across Egypt, across the Sinai Desert, and across the waterways of these lands, from the sky eyes of satellite cameras to the shovels of archaeologists, to the speed tracking of extremely high computer resolutions, there are many operations of determined pursuit to discover an Exodus resurrection of the story of Moses and Israel. Begin with Exodus 3.8 KJV. And, and let's not forget the power of the Synodaki. Let's not forget how that once you have a word that is used and composed a certain way, it's like a great ellipsis, like dot, 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 there is more to come. But a synodaki is more than just that. It is additionally, it is additionally a statement that within the context of what you are reading, there are other associated and connected contexts that are actually part of the subject that you are reading and belong to that subject and need to be expanded within that context. So here we go, reading again out of Exodus 3, 3, 8. And I am come down to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians. Why do they write it that way? Why did the scripture put it that way? I am come down. That is just really unusual talk 
unless it is to accent something something prior. Now, one of the interesting things is in the Bible, in the translations, and God bless these men of old who translated the, the Bible, uh, they did not have all of the knowledge of God. The Bible says that in the latter t times, and of course there's different series of latter times because they fall within dis different uh, dispensations, but in those times that the knowledge of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas, the Bible says that I'm going to make a new covenant with, with you in a certain process of time. And that covenant is going to be, instead of the word being written in uh, writs and, uh, and laws, it will be written in the tables of your heart. There is something immediately beautiful and manifold about how the Lord says that in his word. And we want you to, to use an old term, hearken to these things, because they're in so important. When the Lord says here, I am come down, now we're still in Exodus 3.8, I am come down to deliver Egypt, or to deliver, pardon me, to deliver Israel. We can think in terms of some of these translations, like quite often, the word Hebrew Shamajan, the Shamajan, has been interpreted in most every case of its use as meaning heaven. But in fact, it means sky and outer space. And that's what it really means. In the Greek translations, Uranus, they've interpreted to me, say heaven when in fact it means the same thing, sky, outer space. So when we begin to realize that there's a lot into the Bible that we have to look very deeply. And when we see, I came down, he's talking about he came down from the sky. He came down from outer space. He wasn't just standing next, next to you and says, oh, hey, uh, here I am. Uh, hello there. No, he came down. He came down. He, pronoun, singular. He came down. At the same time that Jesus says he came down, it can mean just a whole lot more than just the singular. Because at times, Jesus is both singular and plural. Someone says, oh, I don't believe that. That's why you've got me to help you out here. That's why you have the manifester to open your mind, to open your eyes. Like, for instance, let me give you an example, which is a beautiful, important example, where the Bible actually shows us this plurality. In Hosea 11, now I, I did not give you the scripture for this. Okay, so it's, it's not going to be posted. This is just part of my explaining this word down. So that's why I didn't, uh, I want to interpose it without actually lining up the scripture. 
And But in Hosea 11, it says, when Israel was a child, that's plural. Israel is, is a plural nation, and it was a child is singular. Child is singular. Then I loved him, singular, and called my son out of Egypt. Now, this would be an important verse for you to remember. Called my son out of Egypt. So they called them. So they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven incense. And I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. Oh, my. Can you imagine that? Knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of, of a man. Now, someone says, yeah, well, that's just talking about Israel. Uh, no, it has both the he and it has uh, in there also the, the plural. Now, how, how do we, we, we really know uh, this story and know that what the manifestor is saying here is, is, is uh, so important? Well, if you look in the second chapter of Matthew, Matthew 2, the story really does unfold. It just really begins to show you something that is going to be part of my teaching here today. This, again, is not a scripture I put in my list. So just hang and hold here a little bit, but I'm, I'm trying to explain this word down, D-O-double-N, and um, to show you both the singularity and the plurality of those possibilities. Okay, so in uh, chapter 2, you know, it's very in, important here as we, we, we put this together. Uh, we are going to see that, uh, that uh, there had to be an escape made. They had, you know, and in verse 13, chapter 2, 13, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee unto Egypt. Flee. Be in haste. Do this in haste. And be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When, verse 14, when he arose, this is still not listed now, when he arose, he told the young child and his mother by night and departed unto Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, now get, get a hang on this, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, Jesus in the singular is described here in this second 13, uh, 13 through 14th chapter, uh, not listed uh, on your TV yet, uh, or on your um, however you're receiving it, um, not listed yet, uh, but he called him, uh, t told him to go to Egypt and to stay there till Herod was dead because Herod had this intent thing to kill him. And we're going to see a connection to Herod and the importance of all of this just shortly. And let's, get, let's wow, let's take this in. And he goes to Egypt, 
stays there to hire it is dead. And the reason he does that is to fulfill the scripture, which was which was prophesied that I read to you in Hosea 11. Uh, when Israel was a child, I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And that was plural. Israel, my child, my son out of Egypt. And yet, at the same time that it was plural, it was it was singular, as we can see here in Matthew 2, 11, and we could take that right on through 2, let's, say, let's just say 2, 13 through 14. And so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet, obviously the prophet Hosea, was spoken that the, uh, by the by the Lord by this prophet saying, "Out of Egypt have I called my son." So Jesus goes into Egypt. Are you kidding? This goes into Egypt to fulfill the scripture, even though at the same time he's hiding from Herod, and there's an importance there. And so, wow, to fulfill the prophecy. This prophecy was a singular plural, and if you don't get that, it's hard for you to understand the Bible, and you need to pray that God will open your minds, because that's a beautiful, important point. Sometimes when it talks about the Lord, it's also including the host of angels that, that, uh, ha that have been assigned by the Father to him, you know, which the Bible says... You know, uh, I will give my angels charge concerning thee. And they will lift thee up, lest thou dash thy feet against the stones. So there's this host of angels. And when you are sometimes uh, and quite often saying, Jesus, you are also incorporating that host of angels. So the singularity also belongs to, a, a, a you know, a plural. Wow. That's getting exciting. And this thing about Egypt, leaving and going to Egypt, and connection to Herod, and then the revelation of the plurality being tied into the singularity of Jesus. Now, someone might say, well, what's that got, all to, what's that got to do with, with Easter? <laughs> it's got everything to do with Easter. Because if you don't get this part of the story, you miss a huge portion of what Easter was all about. Easter wasn't just a resurrection of one man. Easter was a resurrection of many. Someone says, oh, I don't see that in the Bible. That's because you don't know the Bible then, do you? Because the Bible says that on that great incredible day when this thing with Jesus took place and he, he, he resurrected out of the tomb. It says that there was an earthquake and the graves opened up and the saints came up out of the graves. Now there's 30, 60, 90 fold revelation to that kind of thing. We're still just talking about the down thing and the connection here to the down. When Jesus came down, he didn't come alone. As we see in Psalm 68, where there was 20,000 chariots of God with angels in them. 
So when Jesus came down, he came down with a whole host of angels. This is big. This is gigantic. This is spiritually gigantuous. Wow. Hang and hold, people. We've got some heavy stuff, beautiful stuff coming up. Okay. Exodus 3.8, that's the same one I had open to you. I am come down to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, we're enveloped in the whole of this subject, in the lost book of the wars of the gods. I am come down is not just singular. It is singular, but it's also plural. It's manifold. It's a singular plural. It's like the word Elohim. Elohim can be singular, but it can also be plural. And so the manifest uses the term manifold. Wow. Okay. I've come down to deliver Egypt out of the hand of, uh, of the Egyptians. I've come down to, to, to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians. There we go. The whole purpose of him revealing himself to Moses in the bush, which we showed you last week, was actually a chariot of fire or, or a zith that some people call flying saucers. That was in, and we showed you the scripture, how that there was this, this metal that was part of the meaning of the flame and how that fire was actually a term that could be used to describe an individual, like God, is a consuming fire. And we showed you many other scriptures, which we, if we get the opportunity, we'll go back over a few of those things today. If not today, we'll catch it. I came down, and there's an and connected there, a synodoki, an and connected to the I. So no, I and my host of angels, there's the other part. Someone says, yeah, but that's not together right in this particular scripture. The Bible is not written chronologically. It is not written chronologically. It is not written chronologically. And any scholar and any, you know, avid reader would know that. So it all has to be put together. And the consensus has to be that the Bible is a whole book and it's been made like parables and made like puzzles. And you have to take all those puzzle pieces and put them together and they have to fit so that you have a right and correct picture. And when you don't put those pieces together, then you jam them in, you bend parts of the puzzle, and you force it, and it doesn't really fit that place. And so you end up with something that is not contextual, not fitting, not Holy Ghost represented. But when you put it in, and it just with ease fits into the slot that it belongs to. And then the picture comes together and you say, oh my, my God, oh my God, what an absolutely lovely art that the Bible is. What a beautiful word that the Bible is. 
And have you made that transfer? Have you transferred that word which is written, what the Bible says, that the letter kills? There's a lot of people out here that their faith has been killed. As that scripture that I read you, they don't even know. Like Ephraim, they, Ephraim didn't even know it was healed. Didn't even realize it was healed. There are people out there that think that they've got the cream of the word down. They've got it pat. But they're not healed. They haven't come into the rest. They're still struggling because they don't have the real picture yet. It hasn't been transferred from the letter killeth to the infolds of the heart, which by the Spirit makes it alive. And we're still in Exodus 3.8. I am come down to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians. Who's going to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians? They said, well, the, 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 the Israels were good warriors and, and uh, they delivered themselves. Did they? No. Without the miracles of God, without the intervention of God, without the incredible things, you can see that Pharaoh, with all his magicians who were on the dark side, Egypt would have never been released. They would have never been released out of the land of Egypt. So Ephesians 6.12 is so emphatically important here. God wanting us to understand that this war is not with flesh and blood. This war is a war of principalities. Principalities that are operating through the sons of light versus the sons of, of darkness. There's a war going on. It's still going on. And these principalities, just like in the days of Daniel, when Daniel was trying to seek and get an answer from God, And this dark prince interfered and blocked the revelation, blocked the Holy Spirit from being able to do the work until an archangel came, another archangel from the good side came and rebuked that prince of darkness and liberated Daniel so he could receive the word. There are millions of people out there who are in and around and about the word, but they're not really baptized into it. It hasn't been transassimilated through the transfer of the word that killeth to the word that maketh alive by the Spirit in the tables of your heart. And we're leading you, and we're guiding you, and we're calling you to come and listen to this word of the, of the Holy Manifest. And some of you have the responsibility to minister and let other people know about these broadcasts and about the, the blogs and about all the word that's been uh, manifested and brought forth. The Bible said, it was, that is as it's written, go you into all the world and preach the gospel. This is what Jesus wanted his disciples and those who would be his disciples to do. To go into all the world, you may say, ah, they're not interested in, the, in, in this. It's not for you to make that decision. 
It's up to the Holy Ghost to do the work. This is a war between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. Your responsibility is to be used as a vessel and as a temple of the Holy Ghost to lead people and show people where they can listen to a word like this and where they can read a word like this and be astounded and be changed from the creature that they are through the blood and redemption power of Jesus Christ the Lord as revealed in this exceptional word. May God bless you and excite you and ingenerate you and cause you to be as the fulfillment of the scripture promises. For Jesus said, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. The angels of God are standing by waiting to see that happen. The angels of God are waiting to see that happen in you. Now you don't need to go out and, and try to pre-preach and pre-teach the things that are yet coming. My Lord, just teach the, thing, teach the things that have been provided for you through these incredible, miraculous infolds uh, 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 and, and uh, glorious outputs of manifest teachings. I am come down to deliver Israel, it says in Exodus 3.8. That's the same scripture. And I'm going to take you out of the land of Egypt. This is the war between the forces of darkness and the, and, and the forces of God. And to bring them out, to bring them up out of Egypt into a good land, a large land flowing with milk and honey. Wow. Someone might say, you know, it doesn't ever mention the bees in the Bible. Well, don't be too sure about that. But if it didn't mention any other scripture, the minute that it said honey, it that that mentions the bees. Because honey is made by bees. And you've got to get on to this abstract way of reading the Bible because that's how that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Much of it was from abstract. He would say, there's no place that it's written a certain thing. Therefore, this other thing has to be the case. That's abstract. And that's how Paul taught. And when you say honey, although that's a different word, you're automatically saying bees. When you say child, you are automatically saying there was a father and a mother. Blessed be the name of God. We've got to get used to this kind of, of, of reading so that you can really understand the beauty of the word. And I'm going to take you into a large land, into a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Berizites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jubasites. Genesis Another scripture now, Genesis 15, 18, 21. Wow. So, what is that other scripture, Genesis 18, 
if, uh, pardon me, Genesis fifteen eighteen through twenty one. Well, let's just take a moment and uh, let's let's read what it says. Okay, so here we go. Genesis fifteen eighteen. Here's what it says. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river of the Euphrates. The Kenites and the Kenites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the uh, the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amor uh, the the Amorite the Morites Amorites pardon me and the Canaan Canaanites and the Gergeshites and the Jebusites before Abraham Jesus says I am. Before Abraham, also, by association, there in a sense existed the coming of Moses. For Moses picks up this word, and remember, spelling changes a little bit uh, due to transliteration from different languages and so forth, but it represents generally the same same story, the same prophecy, the same revelation that we just read to you from from Exodus three eight of all these different lands, and but it wasn't new to to uh, Moses <clears throat> or new as having never been rendered before, because it was already a revelation that was promised to Abraham. And the Lord said, leave Ur and go to a, a land I will show you and walk this land. And wheresoever your heel leaves this imprint, that land will be conveyed unto you and your children thereafter. So this land or lands that they were to go to was already conveyed in Abraham And Moses was the offspring of Abraham. So if, as the Bible teaches us, that Levi paid tithes in Abraham, having not yet been born, but nevertheless was incited and excited by the Holy Spirit, that his spirit was already his spirit and it was already in existence. And even as he was potentially a promise to come person through the loins of Abraham, he was able to participate in Moses paying tithing to Melchizedek. Now this connectedness is so important because that's how you're going to better be able to understand this revelation about the Exodus resurrection. And so sometimes when it says one, it's a plural one. 
Sometimes when it's talking about someone at a particular time, it's also talking about someone of a past time. Because Abraham also, as a representative and friend of God, was representing Jesus that was to come. Before Abraham, Jesus said, I am. He connects to Abraham. And Abraham connects to Levi even though he's not yet born. And by this word of the promise of the land connects to Moses because Moses is already the predestined and chosen person that is to come and, and be used as a vessel through which God will deliver these lands to them. And the only thing that they are required to do is be faithful and true to God so that he can use their vessel to complete and fulfill this word. Wow. And so that is our tie-in to that second scripture that is on the list, Genesis fifteen eighteen through 21. And, and you can, you know, take your time and, and reread some of these. Now, scriptures that tell the story about the displacement. This is the next little red here. Scriptures that tell the story about the displacement or not of the said nations, nations not expelled. Now, I'm not going to turn to all these scriptures and read uh, 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 the, whole, the whole thing at all, but I'll just quote these, these scriptures. And in every case where one of these scriptures is given, it basically says that the people of Israel did not succeed in expelling these particular people. This is, this is very important. So, Joshua 11, 1 through 8. Joshua 13, 13. Joshua 24, 11. And let me go that, do that again, go a little slower. Nations not expelled. Joshua 11, 1 through 8. Joshua thirteen thirteen, this should be going on the screen. You people, we're, we're, we've, we started this to help you with these scriptures. Joshua twenty four eleven. Judges one nineteen. And Judges twenty seven thirty six. That's five scriptures alone. that are about displacements that did not happen and that these people ended up having to live and these people I mean Israel live lived with these many of these people of these nations that could not be displaced I don't say every one of them but the, the Bible is very clear that these people began to live among the Israelites and what was the thing that God said, you don't want this to happen, because if you do, you'll become, you'll become corrupted by their religious concepts and by their false gods. If you do this, you'll begin to intermarry with them. And, and there's a reason you're not to intermarry with them. There's a reason. There's a reason this land has been chosen to be given to you and taken away from them. It's not that God is a respecter of persons. It's that 
there is something about those persons that is the reason why this is not to go on. Now, uh, I'm going to read something. It is not one of the scriptures that I posted, okay? I've, I've uh, taught on, on, on this before, and uh, it is something that, uh, you know, that, that, that you, are, you are to know and you are to have. And um, it's in the uh, 13th chapter. This is not a listed scripture. The 13th chapter of the book of, of uh, Matthew. And in this book of Matthew, the 13th chapter, it tells the story of the tares. And this is very important. And we look at the, at the, um, the 24th verse of Matthew 13. And another parable put he, meaning Jesus, forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in, the, in, the, in his field. Kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man that sowed good seed in his field. And, or but, another conjunction, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the household came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in the field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wealth thou then that we go and gather them up? And he said, Nay, least while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat from them. Then down in verse 37, Jesus is explaining some of the symbolism and the metaphorical aspects of his parable. 37 says, He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Now, notice how that it said in the earlier part that I read into you, you know, that it says, the kingdom of heaven is like this, where a man went and, and, and sowed uh, good seed. Okay, uh, notice that that man was actually representing the Son of Man. And in verse 38, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. And the enemy that sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how do we need it any clearer? How do we not understand when, out of all the tribe of, uh, tribes of Israel that God delivered out of Moses and saved them from the bondage of Egypt, that afterwards, the majority of those people he had to retain in the wilderness for 40 years, and in a sense allow them to be destroyed even though he had once saved them because they had in them the germs of rebellion and the scripture tells us 
that after all that God had done, that they went backwards and began to worship Baal and Ashtoreth. Now, this Baal and Ashtoreth brings the children of Israel involved in possessing the land but failing to do so because they got in intermingled with these other people and that because of their disobedience they were not able to cast them out and that these people had something in them same things called tares because they were the children of the devil in a sense that they had in them non-spiritual attributes. <clears throat> and they were to be destroyed because of these non-spiritual attributes. But instead, they began to get worshipped, and here we got the father of, of Nimrod, Baal, that's B-A-A-L, and we got Nimrod's wife, Astoreth, which they are worshiping. So this thing going all the way back to Egypt, all the way back to the story of Egypt, and the, and the coming out of Egypt is connected in many ways and connected all the way back before many of these other existences to Nimrod after the flood, his father, his his wife, and what they represented for the people to worship false gods. <clears throat> this thing with, are these things with the teachings that we've given you are incredible. Okay, it is time to take a break. Janet Lee at the organ. We'll be back. God bless you.
Blessed be the name of God. And again, thank you, Janet Lee. Absolutely spiritual how you play that keyboard. All right. Here we go. Let's keep it rolling. So God made promises of deliverance to the children of Israel if they would be obedient, if they would serve only him and not other gods. And we see in this example that I gave you that as they started getting involved, and who with <laughs> Baal, back, back to the story of, of this incredible thing that has been such a story we've been teaching you about Asterisk and Baal, Baal being the father, Asterisk being the, the, the wife, and how that these became like gods. Wow. It is so important for this story to be listened to again and again and again in these teachings I have done so that you get this down, so that you really, really get this down. Because it is no small thing, this revelation. And we want you to, to really get into this revelation because it's, it's part of the whole truth. Blessed be the name. Okay. Next written scripture, uh, uh, you know, we're still into, uh, we're still into uh, Exodus, um, uh, the book of Exodus, but now Exodus 3.12, and this is an MIV, you can read it in the, um, you know, in the, um, whatever other version you have, uh, the King James or whatever, but this is the MV, this is certain, I will be with you, Moses, I will give you a token which is my word that I have commissioned you to deliver my people from Egypt and to worship me upon this mountain, Horeb. Now, Horeb and Sinai, as, as I explained last week, are all part of one mountain. Horeb was one part of it. Sinai is another part. Like mountains have different peaks. So, after the deaths, the deaths of Moses, of Joshua, the elders, and certain of the priests of Israel. Israel breaks their promise to God to not worship any other gods. And the, and the scripture I was talking about, so you, you can have it, look it up for yourself, is Judges 2, 2 through 3. Judges 2, 2 through 3. 2 two through three, Judges. Israel forsakes the Lord and begins to serve Baal and Ashtaroth. Wow. Okay. This all goes back to the connection to Nimrod. Nimrod was the son of Baal and Ashtaroth. Different spellings of that, but it all refers to the same the wife of Nimrod. Okay, now here are some other scriptures that are interesting. This is the list. Exodus 6.26 and Exodus 12.51. 
Exodus 6, 26, and Exodus 12, 51. I will bring out the children of Israel according to their armies. Now, exactly what did this mean? Number one, you have to take into account that the Pharaoh would have never allowed the people of Israel to be divided into ranks of armies. Would never have allowed that. If you just read the story of Pharaoh and, and Moses and, and Israel, you'll see that they were under bondage. They were ba basically like slaves. And, and they had assignments of work to do, and uh, it kept them very busy. And during the time that uh, Moses began to bring uh, some of the pestilence uh, and do some of the signs and wonders before Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's anger uh, uh, put a, a greater yoke upon the people of Israel, making them have to do more work than they were even doing before. So uh, they didn't have time, nor would it have been allowed for them to have um, have armies. So what do how how do they just as they're leaving out of the of the um, land of Egypt? How do they suddenly get armies, and how do they suddenly get arms? Well, yes, I I can see how that they got could have gotten some arms, uh, but you know. How would that make a true soldier out of them with the little bit of time that they had? Now, M Moses himself, the Bible says in Acts, was learned of all the, the uh, wisdom and uh, strategic things of the Egyptians. And he was a warrior man. And tradition says that... Um, that he led an, the army of, of Egypt into war against the Ethiopians, which lived above Egypt in the land of Africa. But how did they go out with their armies? Well, there's a lot more to the story than that. And I won't be able to tell you this whole thing today, but I'll tell you enough to get you excited. This is another scripture, and it's not in, not been written down. This is not one of the written scriptures that I made on the list. But Exodus 13, 17 through 18. And you can also connect with that, Exodus 14, 2. And that's a little questionable, but you might be able to see the connection there. And Numbers 33, 6. So Exodus 13, 17 through 18. Also Exodus 14, 2, and especially Numbers 36, 3. And the children of Israel in Exodus 13, 17 says, And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. This is the key code scripture. Without that scripture, you're not, able to find the DNA, the spiritual DNA of the revelation. But what the word harness means 
it, it, it has a meaning of five. And five in, 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 in a rank. There's, there's, you know, there's ranks. Five ranks. Now, when this thing is talking about armies, it has a parallel meaning. It's talking about how that Moses separated the groups. You remember even Jesus when he was uh, feeding them uh, the miraculous thing of, of the uh, fishes and the loaves. He divided people into fifties. And, and, and other times with the group was larger, maybe into hundreds. Well, when they went up out of, of Egypt, they all went together. And so they, as, as a group, they all went out. So it's not out of line when some scripture says that they all came out of Egypt because they all came out, to, out together. But the incredible thing was is that Moses divided these people into five different branches, which if you go to, and this is not listed, to the Hebrew Concordance of Strong's number 2571 and number 2570, you see that this is a numerical number. It's a numeral, and it's a number five Include with that number uh, in, in the Strong's Concordance, 2568. So you've got the Hebrew Concordances. You've got 5571, which is from 2570, which is connected to 2568. And we see that this is a numeral. It's a fifth or a five, a piece, a piece. So there's a separation. It's like a branch. There's other scriptures. I can't give them all to you today that talk, show the branch thing. But the ribs are like branches, and they're separated. And so when we're talking the fifth rib, we're really talking about the fifth rib as a singularity. But the fifth rib is including all the other ribs. And the particular five designated ribs so we can say five branches, five ranks, five ribs. And one rib is separated from another rib. There's flesh in between. And, and, and other consistencies of constitution of the body. So what happened? I won't be able to show you this story in its beauty and fullness. But these people, they had money. And so some of these people were sent to go out like as tourists. They went out before the whole group. They all went out of Egypt, but they went out, some of them, before the, the main body left because they were divided into five different groups. Some went out uh, to the Mediterranean, and, and they, they had borrowed almost everything could be imaginable from the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were terrified to have them stay. They wanted them gone, and they gave them their jewelry and silver. Uh, they, they left in rich. Besides that, there was these two uh, storehouses that they were able to get into, which at a later time I'll show that story, and to get some of the, the arms and things that they needed uh, to be armed for the trip. And they defined it. Some went as tourists right into, uh, into the... the, the uh, 
where the Phoenicians were, just like tourists, like families. And so there was five different groups that went out of Egypt in five different separate branches way. And then they were, they were to meet <coughs> at Petra, which is, comes from the word Sela, and it's that incredible rock city. And it's, it's known as a place where, the wiz, where, where men of wisdom met. And they were to meet there and then join back with, with Moses. They were to stop through some of the cities and they, were, they, had, they had silver, they had gold, they had finances, and they were to buy extra supplies and to bring that uh, over to, to the body, the whole group. It's a beautiful story. But they went out of Egypt, the Bible says, harnessed. And that is the meaning of that. And it's so important to understand that the exodus of the people of Israel was done quite differently than what most of the people are teaching. And there's, there's much interesting scripture to give with that. That is not my teaching today, but I'm throwing it in. Blessed be the name of God. Okay, so... They went out according. You have to understand that the way that they went out of Egypt wasn't according to how the scholars have taught it. Wasn't according to how preachers have interpreted it. Wasn't according to how it seems like it might have been in the scripture, but without knowing the code and without knowing the, the, the Akava, you can't really know how they went out of Egypt. <clears throat> but when it's revealed to you, then you end up with the right part of the puzzle that fits the puzzle. And it makes a total difference on deliverance and survival. Praise God. And it is, it is so, so important. Uh, other scriptures, I read Exodus 6, 26, 1225 this is from the writ pardon me exodus 626 and and exodus 1251 i'll bring the children of israel out according according come on you got to get that how are you bringing them out of i did just thought that was a just done done deal you just bring them out as a lump no that's not how i'm bringing them out i'm not bringing them out just as one big bash of people as one big plump lump of people. I'm bringing them out according to the ranks, according to how they're going to be divided. I'm bringing them out harnessed. I'm bringing them out like branches. And they're going to be separated by these branches just like ribs and a body are separated. That's how I'm bringing them out. And it's how they're coming out of Egypt is according to that. That's how they're coming out of Egypt. They're all coming out. But they're coming out according according come on people hear the word of god according to their armies according to the ranks which actually comes back to this word harness according to this harness revelation of these ribs of these branches of these ranks that are going to be divided what a brilliant thing of of tea, of leaving and that was from god that was god's plan how to bring them out wow yeah, the Bible says that if they had all gone out the other way, like 
by the, uh, along the, the Mediterranean, had all gone out together along uh, where, where the, the Phoenicians were. Uh, a large group like that, they would immediately say, hey, they're coming to make war. And there would have immediately been a war. And, he, and the Bible says yeah, the people would have been discouraged having to fight a war just like that. That They didn't need a war. They're not trained. They, they, they haven't had a chance to train for battle. Moses will teach them that during the time in the wilderness. Wow. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, an interesting thing, I think, and this is the next scripture. This is written, Exodus 7.3, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why was this time delayed? Number one, there were people among there were people among, and, and in, in the book of Hebrews it tells this story, but I, I, we can't get into that now. But there were people among the, the Israelites that they believed Moses from the onset. They were believers. But there was other people among uh, the, 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 the Israelites that they just had a hard time really knowing if they wanted to believe or trust. And so God hardened the heart of, of Pharaoh so that there could be proofs. And one proof upon another and another and another. So that these people could become believers. And if you read carefully in the scripture, you could see where, where at first the people were very angry at the first of the, of the miracles. Because it, it ended up reaping for them uh, really tough consequences of, of more work to do uh, according to Pharaoh's demands. But as time went on, and one miracle after another kept happening, one, one, and, and Mo, Moses used the term, and it was the Bible term and the God term, signs. There were signs. So these signs that seemed to be like a sign of the locust, a sign of the lice, a sign of the, of the, of the turning of, of, of water into blood, uh, they had an order. You say, this is the first sign. Here's the second sign. Here's the third sign. They all had an order. So there was division of time, ranks, branches of these signs. And during this time, the people weren't, weren't uh, not allowed to go out. I mean, these people of Israel were allowed to, to go uh, out of the land uh, as visitors. Uh, the Egyptians, the pharaohs had no problems with that. They knew that they had relatives over there in the other land, in Canaan. And uh, all they had to say is, I'm on my way to Canaan to visit my relatives. And, and they had no, no problem to be able to get out and to go visit. Uh, but what Pharaoh didn't want to go is the whole group. He's, even one time he told uh, Moses, he said, okay, leave the wives and the children here and all the men go out. And, and, uh, but he didn't want the whole group to go. Uh, he wanted to make sure that they, he, that workforce uh, stayed. And, uh, and that if they went out, they came back because of their, their wives and their children and, and so forth. And their cattle. <clears throat> they didn't want any of that to go. Or Pharaoh did. Okay, so, while these signs were taking place, there was people already beginning to slip out. They had missions. 
They had things that they had to do. This was all part of the plan of God. According, according to the armies, according to these, this plan of the harnessed people. Wow. So all these things were, were for a purpose. And so here we go. <clears throat> Exodus um, 7.41 again mentions, and this is a written one, again mentions, God will bring forth the armies of Israel. Exodus 12.2, another written one, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Who would ever dare to do something like that? To take something that was a national or worldwide recognized cycle of time and have the intestine fortitude to just say, we're changing the time. Those other months that were previous and that other month that was supposed to be the first of the year, that's, that's, that's canceled. This month that we're going out, this is going to be the time that is the first of the year because it's a spiritual time. And we need to understand from that, ladies and gentlemen, that the times and the seasons belong to God. And so sometimes when we see... <clears throat> Times in the Bible. And, and we're following genealogies. There is so much that has to do with God's accounting to those genealogies. Because there are people that had a natural, uh, a natural following of genealogy, but they were not accepted in the spiritual lineup of genealogy. So in God's timing, in God's record, they weren't counted. So you would have a compression of time. On, on another score, there would be those areas that actually occurred literally physically but were spoken of in terms of metaphors, parables, signs, so that people would not be able to recognize the Genesis revelation in the first chapter of Genesis that the time that God had that he had given the world, this earth, was star time. And they'd not be able to recognize things that were according to star time because they didn't know how to put the scripture together. And all they could do is line upon line and precept upon precept, of which the Bible says that people that believe that method will fall and go backwards. So they go backwards into a, 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 a pagan mentality, not being able to really understand the timeline not being able to really understand the long time. So they have the disposition of the dinosaurs out of context of time, the disposition of the flood and when it actually happens out of time, and all these different ideas not being relative to how it really happened. So then when they start looking at these things from archaeological perspectives and paleontology, and chemistry per, per, uh, perfections, they end up not being able to interpret things correctly because they don't have the constituency of understanding the, the, the spiritual revelation. Wow. Okay. 
So, we got to move on here because there's some really important things. Um, <clears throat> there's some other scriptures I I gave you. You'll have to that are written. Exodus twelve eleven says, "Eat the Passover with haste, sanctify all the firstborn, man and beast." Um, Exodus twelve forty eight: Stranger may eat of the Passover if he is circumcised. He will then be his homeborn. There were some people who were not natural born. Israelites, but by being believers and by following the word of God and being willing to be circumcised and, and the circumcision of their, their privates was actually connected to genealogy and actually connected to circumcision of the heart of the dedication. And in Exodus thirteen thirteen, it sort of explains this. The strange, the strangers of Exodus twelve forty eight, were sort of considered like to be asses or donkeys, but it says every firstling of an ass can be redeemed with a lamb. Exodus thirteen thirteen and Exodus twelve forty eight. Okay, I got to move on. The Exodus resurrection scriptural proof, number one. Revelations, this is written, 11, 7 through 12. And their dead bodies, this is speaking of the two witnesses, shall lie in the street of that great city, spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Not far from the crucifix site was located the resurrection site. Let's, let's explain this. We know that in the literal sense, in, in, in Israel, where there was set up the crosses, usually outside the walls of Jerusalem, that not far from there was also the location of the resurrection site in the literal, actual situation of the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. So when we read in this word that their bodies shall lie in the street of that great city spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. What? The Lord was crucified in, in Egypt? The Lord was crucified in Sodom? And we know that if that's where the cross was and he was crucified there, spiritually speaking, that spiritually speaking, then not far from where that cross was, would have also been the burial site and the resurrection site. Now, I wrote here, in the spiritual realm, time does not exist. And physical locations have no space between them. S specific places such as cities represent designations. Like, for instance, other scriptures. This is all written. John three twelve through 13. Jesus says he is in heaven and on the earth at the same instant. You'll have to read that. John two nineteen twenty one, Jesus said, "This physical temple, I'm going to, you know, uh, as you you see it. Well, I've got a revelation for you. The Son of Man's going to destroy that in three three days, or it's going to rebuild it after it's been torn down in three days. But the Bible says Jesus was talking about the three days that referred." 
to the resurrection. That in three days, though they crucify him, he'll rise again. Now, you've got to see how the, this constant thing of Scripture uses one example that actually represents a different example. One example represents a happening at one place, but it also corresponds in the spiritual realm, in the other dimension, in another place. It's sort of like atomic entanglement, that what happens here at this part of the universe with an atom that it is aligned to actually happens also, even if it's at the end of the universe where that other atom is, it is entangled with it. It is aligned with it. So it happens at both places. That's Bible. And here we have this scripture, the spiritually called Sodom and Gomorrah, where the Lord was crucified. Okay? Ezekiel 37. Wow. Oh, you got, you got to read these scriptures here. I haven't time to read it today. But it, you've got to read it again. You've got to get this story. A valley of dead bones that represent dead Israel who will be raised again to life. Now, where were those bones? <laughs> where were they? Well, those weren't bones in, in, in Israel. And God is looking at something and, and showing us something spiritual. And, and he's making connections. And one of the things that it says here, also in that scripture, it talks about all the different tribes. And it says, the day will come, there won't be all these different tribes. There's just going to be one group. They're all going to be one group under one name, under one banner, all called Israel. And there's so many connotations of, of spiritual insight that I could bring into that. But I have time today for the things that else that I want to say. Okay. <clears throat> and then it goes on, and it explains here in Colossians one twenty four, for his body's sake, the church. We see that J Jesus is both the husbandman, but in another sense in which he is our body, the people, then he also represents the church, and the church also represents the woman. So we have all these different parts, which are like the cells of the body. They are all individual, and yet they are all a part of the one body. So that Jesus is one thing, but by the Spirit, he's all these other things and connections and parts and, uh, and, and body and church too. Now, Paul understood this. And Paul writes in Galatians 6.14, it's another written scripture. And he speaks of Jesus Christ by whom the whole world is crucified unto me. That through Christ, he has a personal asset in that crucifixion. That they're not only crucified unto Christ, but they're also crucified unto him as an individual because he is, he is in the process of being transassimilated to Christ. Therefore, he is a part of Christ. And, any, and by being a part of Christ, he's a part of all of those those, uh, uh, you know, people that were crucified under Christ. They're also crucified under Paul. So that we see that one crucifixion of another time is transferred spiritually by that same crucifying, crucif uh, crucifixion happening in another person at another time in another place. Although Paul was alive at the same time of Jesus. 
The time was different. The place was different. Wow. And 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 that is nothing but that is nothing but but beautiful. That is nothing but beautiful. Okay. Now let's let's get into some stuff here. I got to hurry. This thing of Egypt, I already gave you that one scripture that says that Jesus in the second chapter of, of Matthew was to return. He had to flee from Herod. We already gave you that scripture. He had to go to Egypt. And then he had to come back out of Egypt because that was a prophecy in Hosea 11. So we see then spiritually how that even though what happened at Jerusalem that by the Spirit it was also happening in, in its connection to Egypt. Because there's a whole valley of, of dead bones there. Just like the bones of Joseph that had been carried there, or that he died there and was to be carried, was to be brought back from Egypt and to the Promised Land. There were people that didn't make it to the time of faith. There were people that didn't make it across the line. But God, by the Spirit, brought that resurrection to Egypt. Said, when I am resurrected, they are resurrected by the Spirit. Because Egypt took in the people of Israel and gave them a place to live. And there was a, a, a time of, of 200 years, or if you're counting it by generations, and a generation being 100 years, it was 400 years. Depending on how you're counting it. And there's scripture for both. And so, there's a connection to, to Egypt. There's a connection to Egypt. And those people have a promise. And those people that went out of Egypt, that were born in Egypt. So in a sense, they were Egyptian citizens at one time. They are all part of that redemption and that resurrection. They're all part of the Exodus resurrection that's tied in to the Jesus resurrection and the Jesus crucifixion. Paul understood that. Jesus understood that. And the people of God are called to understand that. Now, we need to understand this thing about crucifixion. We need to understand that the first crucifixions on a cross actually happened in Persia. And Darius, the king of Persia, at one time when he took over Babylon, he crucified on crosses 3,000 of what he considered his political opponents or potential political opponents. 3,000. That was the first use or mention of it. Except that it was already known in the Bible, already understood in the Bible, and spoken of in the Bible, so that in Deuteronomy 21, 23, this is not written now, the Bible says, Cursed is everyone who, who will hang upon a tree. The tree representing the cross. So 
that revelation goes all the way back to Deuteronomy, which was written after coming out of Egypt. Now, that thing that happened in Persia of, of the, the use of the, of the crosses, 3,000 people being crucified, got passed on just like, like these familiar spirits pass on. Because we have Alexander the Great who went over to Persia and defeated Persia. And then when he defeated Persia, he learned about the cross crucifixion. On his way to Egypt, he stopped at Tyre, the island of Tyre, off of Lebanon. And after an, a courageous thing to defeat them, building a causeway out, and there's a whole story there, I don't have time to tell, and defeating those people there, he used the technique that he learned from, from Persians, from King Darius, and he crucified hundreds of those people. He crucified hundreds of those people all, entire on his way to Egypt. Well, when he finally got to Egypt, they decided to accept him as a god and as a pharaoh and brought him in. And he built the city of Alexandria that became a, a Christian stronghold. So the cross is connected. The cross made it to Egypt before it made it to Jerusalem. But this thing got caught on by the Romans after they finally defeated the Persians and, and the Greeks, and they picked up the idea of the cross. At the time of Titus and his brother, who were powerful Romans, there was a time that Titus crucified so many people, 500 Jews a day, that he considered to be rebellious, 500 a day that there were so many crosses and people being crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem that there was no room left to put any more, and there was no wood. They had to travel over 10 miles to get wood. No, no, not enough crosses left to handle all the people that Titus is inside to crucify. The, this cross thing made it all the way from Persia, like a familiar spirit traveling through the, the lanes of, of one human to another human, of one nation to another nation. Made it all the way to Rome, and Rome brought it to Israel and, and began to crucify hundreds and thousands of people. And finally, Jesus Christ they crucified. Now, where does this Sodom thing come in? Well, a lot of people don't know that the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, over there by near to where the, 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 the caves were, where these scrolls, lost scrolls were found, which is at the north end of the lake, 
of the Sea of Salt, that that Lake Sea of Salt was also called the Sea of Sodom. That's its name, Sea of Sodom. And, and, and it is like 72 miles long, not counting the tongue. And if you count the tongue, you end up with it being almost 100 miles long. Going the north northern tongue, going toward Israel, and from the southern tip, distance between the Sea of Sodom or the Salt Sea, it's only roughly twenty eight eight miles to Jerusalem. But at the other end, the southern end of the Sea of Sodom. There is this high place called Masada. That's where almost a thousand Jews committed suicide. Only two people of that whole group were left alive. The rest all committed suicide because the Romans under Titus had built fortification using slaves to build it, of which you can still see those fortifications there today, to, to breach that stronghold. But who was it that established that place of Masada before the Jews? Herod the Great. Herod built palaces up there. And why did he do that? Because he was afraid of some, uh, he needed a place to get away that would be safe from some of the rebellious Jews. And he was afraid at that time of the possible attack upon Israel of Cleopatra of Egypt. This Egypt thing and the crosses, it's a circle. And so he built an incredible defense system and even made it so that the, the water that would come down as rain, and there's huge amounts of rain, in one day could be, uh, could be funneled into an area that would last a thousand people living there for one to two years of drinking water. And so he made this place on Masada. And it was, his, it was his place of getting away and of being safe. So Masada is connected. It's where close to a thousand men of God, Jews of God, died rather than give themselves over to the slavery of, of, and become slaves under the Roman uh, system. So there's a crucifixion connection, a resurrection connection to not only Egypt, but to Sodom, which is located just above the Sea of Sodom at the southern end of it, off to the side. And so when the Bible says they've been crucified, there's two witnesses in those places called Sodom and called Egypt. You can see now the real, true, incredible connection to Sodom and to Egypt. And you know what? I've run out of time. But we'll continue this story. But now you can see a real insight of this story on Easter Day. 
to the resurrection of Egypt. My son must return to Egypt and then come back from Egypt to, to make the circuit, the spiritual circuit, to fulfill the Exodus resurrection and the connection to Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our God. We praise you, Jesus. We love you. As I close, and my wife comes to play the organ, God bless you. We love you. May God reach out his hand to you, dear Prophet Charles, and heal your body. May there be a miracle. Betty and his Holy Spirit heal you and there be a miracle. May God's Spirit reach out to you, Shoshana, and God heal you and give you the beauty of salvation. May God reach out to you, who I have been ministering to, in Jesus' name, and heal you. God bless you.